our, our friend has um, had some interactions with, with Fally in the past, and um, he, he's a graduate of the Master's Seminary and just gives, gives all the indications of being a faithful minister, a faithful brother in the Lord. So what a great uh, pleasure it is to be able to partner with him as he works to, to spread the gospel and to teach and train and entrust faithful men. Yeah, on, on that note, that was one conversation that I had with uh, Luke over Christmas when he was back in town for a few weeks. We are talking about some of the different connections that we have with them, with um, some of the, the guys through TMAI, the Master's Academy International. And just talking to Luke, it was a reminder, you know, you think Grace Community Church, big church, big group, a lot of people, a lot of resources, but that work is so broad there are so many people involved that, that they are always in need of help and, and people and workers and funds. So it's a, a great privilege to be able to join together with them as they seek to train men and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think in line with that idea, we will come to Second Peter. If you have your Bible, open with me to Second Peter chapter 2, and, and we're going to talk again this week about the idea of gospel-denying false teachers. You recall last week, we started out and got through really verse 1 uh, of this passage in verses 1 through 3, so we'll pick up part 2 in that, and we'll look at verses 2 and 3. Today will be our primary focus. There's kind of a, a slight shift in thought from, from Peter, a, sh- a slight shift in his overall direction, his overall emphasis. In verse 1, he was talking about the false teachers and and their false teaching. And in these verses, 2 and 3, he really zones in on how these false teachers attack the church and what is their effect as they seek to attack the church. And so one thing that we need to take away right at the outset is to understand and to realize the importance of this idea the importance of standing firm in a day where false teaching and false gospels are so prevalent. It's taken two weeks just to get through three verses because the implications are so broad. So let's, let's give our attention to this and ask the Lord to direct our minds and to write his word upon our hearts. So if you will, please stand with me if you will and if you're able. And we will read our text of scripture and then ask the Lord's blessing on our time today. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is the inerrant word of God. It reads, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bring swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. Now join me, if you will, and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we bow before you. And we praise your name. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the author, the sustainer of all things. You made the world. 
You keep the world in existence. You cause all things to work together for your glory and for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we come before you with praise. For you and you alone are worthy to receive all honor, glory, and praise. Lord, we come before you to ask your help as we come to your word and we we seek to learn from it. We seek to be fed by it. We seek its instruction, its wisdom, its correction, its training in righteousness. Lord, we understand that the work in which we, we strive to do today, the, the hearing and applying of your word is only possible through the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are but weak and broken vessels, though renewed and empowered by your Spirit, and we need your help to hear and receive and apply your truth. Would you give us soft and humble hearts? Would you give us active and engaged minds? And would you work within us to produce transformed, holy lives? Lord, I pray that your spirit would move powerfully in our hearts. Pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. Lord, I pray that we would be brought to a point of brokenness and repentance for our sin. Pray that you would renew us in Jesus Christ, the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin and live in righteousness. Lord, would you help us in this time and pray that you would receive the glory and honor and praise that is due your name. Pray that our flesh would not get in the way of the work that you would do among your people. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified today, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we come to the text, before we get to verses 2 and 3, really want to spend some time recapping and resetting the context to understand what we looked at last week and how the text is driving us in this direction of understanding the importance of the nature and the work of false teachers. You, know, you, you think about Second Peter, the, the first chapter, Peter has spent time driving us to understand the sufficiency of the word as it pertains to the sanctification of God's people. We are to be holy. We are to be diligent in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness and true knowledge of God. We are to strive and to discipline ourselves and our lives to conform to the image of Christ. We do that. We know that the Lord has been the one to call us. He calls us. He abundantly supplies entrance into the kingdom of eternal life to us. And then Peter writes that, and then he comes to chapter 2, and he says, part of the reason that this is so important is because you will be you will face a barrage of false teaching. You will be attacked, you will be deceived or attempted to be deceived, and you must stand firm. You must be sanctified in the truth because the world will come and attack you. 
We began last time, we saw that false prophets were, false teaching is not a new thing because false prophets were even present in the day of Israel. False prophets, Peter writes, arose among the people. False teaching really doesn't just go back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to the beginning, to the garden. Satan is the father of lies. He is a murderer from the beginning. He's the ultimate head and the ultimate perpetuator of false teaching and all deceit. He, he continues to sow seeds of deceit as he attacks the Lord's people. And really, that's the first thing we must know and mark about false teaching. It is, it is satanic, and it's demonic. False teaching is a work of Satan. And we need to know that because we need to know what we're up against. We don't fight against just fleshly powers. False teachers are not only empowered by the desires of their flesh, but they are empowered and driven by Satan. So false teaching goes back to the beginning. It was a problem that plagued Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. And just as there were false prophets then, false teachers continue, Peter says, to work their way into the church. This should be a sobering reminder, friends. We have victory in Christ. If you are alive in Jesus Christ, you have victory in him from his work at the cross. But false teachers still strive to work their way into the church. We live in this already but not yet world of we know we have victory. We know the day will come where we're made perfect in Christ. But the day is not yet. Sin still happens. Sin is still committed. Bad things still happen. We we still walk in war against the flesh in the church, so we are the bride of Christ. We are washed, we are cleansed, we are purified. Though we are his bride, we still face these attacks. And that must sober us, that must cause us to be ready. Jude 3 says that we must contend earnestly for the faith. We contend earnestly for the faith as the pure bride of Christ by contending earnestly against sin. If you want to stand firmly upon the truth, you need to stand firmly against sin. These false teachers, they are prevalent. That's what we looked at that first part of verse 1 under their, their prevalence. And we also saw that they make this progress. They bring their destructive heresies into the church. They secretly introduce these destructive heresies into the church. They come in deceiving they come in not showing themselves, not revealing their true motives. They not only come into the church, but they bring their teaching with them. So it's not just that they live here among us, but they strive to, to gain power and authority so that they are able to, to bring their false teaching to bear, so that they're able to sweep people in to their sin with them. These are not just innocent misunderstandings. These are not even, I don't think, wrong applications of gray areas in Scripture where sometimes there is some liberty to, to do one thing where someone else may not have the freedom of conscience to do it. Rather, these are wrong beliefs. They are destructive heresies, as Peter writes. They are propagated deceitfully. These are teachings that lead to unbiblical, unsaving faith. That they lead you not to salvation, but to eternal condemnation and destruction. The church and the home 
are the training grounds against these things. The church and the home are the main training grounds for the truth of God's Word. We train here, we're filled here, and we go to our homes, and, and we just continue exactly what we do here. We, we feed upon the Word, and, and the Word enriches our lives. It fills our minds, and we apply it and live it out. That's how we stand in the day of destructive heresies. We are full of the truth. Peter continues that they secretly introduce their destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Do you see the extreme work of these false teachers? They, they are those who will claim to be in Christ. They'll claim that they are slaves of Christ, bought by the precious blood of Christ, and yet their lives prove otherwise. They may outright deny him with their teaching. They, they say Jesus isn't who he says he was. Or they may do it much more secretly, much more deceptively, and, and give you a lot of truth mixed with just a little bit of error. They may give you a lot of truth, but then they come in and the way that they apply the truth is not biblical, it's not true, it's not faithful. The church must be distinguished from false teachers, and we're distinguished from false teachers by the way that we live and by the truth that we proclaim. False teachers deny the master that bought them, we, as Christ's people, do not deny him because we walk in his commands. We proclaim the truth that is revealed in Scripture, and we walk in accordance to those truths. Simply, you can't say you belong to Christ and not believe he is who he says he is. You can't say that you belong to Christ and not put into practice the things that he has commanded. So that's kind of a, a longer introduction, a, a summary of verse 1. To press us into verses 2 and 3, you'll recall maybe last time we, we developed a primary exhortation from this text. It's this idea that to stand firm, to remain, to resist these false teachers, we must know and practice the whole truth of the gospel. We live in dark and trying and difficult days, and we must know the entire truth of God's word, and we must be putting it into practice. These false teachers are crafty, and they're destructive. And now we'll look at their purpose, their, their practices, and then we see their punishment. We work through, we see all these things that they do, and then we remember that the Lord still reigns. The Lord reserves punishment for the unrighteous. We'll see that these false teachers seek to lead the Lord's people into sensuality. They seek to lead us into sin. They seek to draw us into the muck of fleshliness and, and the pleasures of this life to draw us away from Christ. So let's look uh, firstly at verses 2 and through that first phrase in verse 3 <clears throat> and consider the purpose of false teachers, the purpose of of false teachers. It says, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Maybe apparent at this point, I'm on the back end of a head cold, so bear with me. Might have to take a break or two as we work through the text today to, to make sure that I'm not um, losing my voice. But we'll press on. We, what we see in verses 2 and then that first section of verse 3, we see kind of these two cause and effect statements. 
these causes that lead to these effects. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, so that was the cause, and because of them, the effect, the way of the truth will be maligned. So let's think about that idea of sensuality. Again, the false teachers seek to drag believers into the mud and muck of their sin, the sensuality of their sin. And Peter gives us kind of a direct, um, a direct way to interpret what this sensuality speaks to. If you drop down to verse 7 in chapter 2, he says, And if the Lord rescued righteous Lot when he was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. So, so that's the same word. And you might know what Peter is writing of. It. It's the story of Sodom. When Lot was in Sodom, Genesis chapter 19, the, the messengers of the Lord came to, to visit him, and the men of the city of Sodom were full of wickedness. They, they saw a couple men enter into Lot's house, and they came and said, send the men out to them so we can fulfill our fleshly pleasures with them, and we'll handle that with some kid gloves. But these men had lustful, blasphemous desires. That is the primary sensual conduct that Peter has in mind here. The immediate context points us to exactly what sensuality is in false teachers. One common mark, then, of false teachers is that they are driven by this immoral desire. And you just stop and think. You you understand what's going on there in the picture of Sodom with Lot. You know what that desire is. And you see the prevalence of that in our day, do you not? If you are involved at all in seeing what goes on in modern-day evangelicalism, you know how far that agenda, the LGBTQ agenda, is pressing its way even into those who claim to be the church. Our culture is morally bankrupt. And it strives to normalize all sorts and all kinds of sins. It strives to normalize this blasphemous kind of sin. And so many who call themselves followers of Christ put up no resistance. What do we make of that? Those are false teachers. They are false converts. They are not holding to the truth if they can't put up clear walls on things that Scripture plainly states. Think about many American denominations, maybe a couple prevalent ones who within the last 50 to 100 years would have been considered faithful and and biblical. You know, we might have some disagreements, but uh, overall there, there are these denominations that are faithful and biblical. And in the last decade, last really 50 to 100 years, you, you can see the slide, but they have embraced all of this now. They have just fallen off the cliff. They have let go of biblical sufficiency and authority because they want the approval of the world. And what that tells us is that they are just like the description of these false teachers. What changed in those denominations? What changed with the evangelical leaders that are are prevalent in their public announcement of how we should embrace people with these types of desires. Well, what, what happened is false teaching and false teachers crept in. They came in unnoticed. They, they came in and they propagated their false teaching that allows them to fulfill their lustful desires, and, and they took hold. Sin comes in and it takes root. And we as the church must put a stop to that. 
Moral decline happens at warp speed. Moral decline happens at warp speed. The question then that we must ask is, how are we watching and how are we guarding our lives? How are we watching and guarding the church, the bride of Christ who is pure and washed in his blood? What steps are we taking to ensure that false teaching does not creep in among us and that we, Grace Covenant Baptist Church, do not become propagators of false teaching? What are you doing? What are we doing? We can broaden out, I think, the idea of sensuality as well. Uh, So there's, I think, this specific idea that Peter kind of makes clear in the context but sensuality just speaks in general to, to fleshliness, to unbridled desire, to shamelessness, and to excess. And so we can grab hold of all of those different descriptions and understand what sensuality is. MacArthur describes this as referring to those who intentionally refuse to place any restraints on their fleshly desires. They intentionally refuse to place restraints on their desires. Now, this can then start hitting a little closer to home. Do you have areas in your life where you refuse to place restraints, where you refuse to discipline yourself, where you refuse to cut off the arm of the flesh? Do you have areas in your life where you hold back because you love the pleasure, you love the feeling that this sin or this activity gives you? False teachers are marked by excess. American culture is marked by excess. It's so easy. This is one reason that we have to examine ourselves very soberly in light of this because our culture is a culture of excess. Think about entertainment, finances, food, sports, leisure, you name it. The culture just breeds us running into all types of excesses all types of dissipation, all types of things that are not devotion first and foremost to the Lord. Let's examine ourselves. Let's examine our lives. Examine our hearts. Examine our desires. This is also, again, a pointer to false teachers. So, So we look inward and ask the Lord to examine us, but we also remember the the overall purpose of Peter writing this, he's writing to encourage and exhort and to shore up the church. We need to know false teachers are marked by excess. They understand false teachers are wise. They are shrewd. They have understanding of how we will identify them. Satan fills them with the knowledge of the word enough that they can twist and pervert it. And so they know that one of the ways that they're marked is by this sensual conduct this sexual immorality that is so prevalent in our day. And so a lot of times they will just seek to hide that. They will cover it up while they're working their way in, while they're smoothing their way into a people that they're trying basically to groom, to get into, to be able to propagate their message to. But if you want to spot a false teacher, look for excess. It doesn't have to just be that broad, that, that specific sensuality, but look for a broad type of shameless excess, a lack of godly order and discipline in their life. What's the result of this sensuality? What is the result of this false teachers? Peter says many will follow their sensuality. 
You know, this is easy to understand, is it not? Uh, Apart from Christ, we are in darkness. Darkness loves darkness. Darkness hates the light. Darkness seeks to go further and further into sin and wants to pursue the pleasures and the lust of the flesh. What happens when wicked and unrestrained people join together? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's what wicked people do. They deceive and they're being deceived. They proceed from bad to worse. And that's where we need accountability to one another. But it needs to be more than just a surface flesh level accountability. It needs to be deep. It needs to be honest. It needs to be biblical. Because we are prone to be deceived about ourselves and about others. So to stop this following after excess, following after sensuality, we must not be deceived because we are full of the truth. And we openly and broadly apply the truth to one another. So there's this kind of self-perpetuating nature of fleshly living. But notice that this accomplishes something, I think, that's even more sinister than, than causing darkened people to go further in their darkness. In verse 2, Peter says, and because of them, this is the effect, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. That's, that's the Greek word there. It's blasphemo. The way of the truth will be blasphemed. Due to the pleasure-pursuing lifestyle of false teachers, the teaching and the living of the truth will be scorned. It will be mocked. It will be hated. The, The word of the truth, the Lord's precious word to us, will be blasphemed because these people claim to be followers of Christ. They claim to be in Him, and then they go out and pursue whatever fleshly pleasures they desire. That blasphemes the Lord and it blasphemes his instruction to us. That should really trouble us. That should bother us as followers of Christ who know the price that was paid for our redemption. It should bother us that God's precious holy word is made to be a mockery. Not that his word could ever be a mockery, but it's looked at as a mockery because these people propagate these false teachings. They say that they're following Christ. They say that they're being biblical, and then they go out and live however they want. They blaspheme. Do you consider, though, every time you sin, especially every time you willingly walk into a sin that you are really a participant in that blasphemy. You, You are showing that the word lacks authority. It lacks effectivity. It lacks sufficiency in your life because you go and do what you want, because you go and pursue your pleasures. You are a participant in the blaspheming of God's holy word when you sin. It may sound very extreme, and it should sound extreme, Because if we are going to battle the flesh, it takes extreme measures. Guard your life, saints. 
Guard your life, O holy ones of the Lord. Be holy as he who called you is holy, because your sin dishonors the Lord. And your sin discredits his word and his work. It's also see the importance there of calling out and exposing false teachers. If false teaching maligns the truth, it needs to be exposed. That is one work of, of the church, one work of followers of Christ, is to expose those who teach falsely and live according to their own desires. We don't let it happen freely. We don't just sit idly by while someone proclaims to be in Christ and lives like a devil. Now you apply patience and love and graciousness, but call out sin, call out heresy, call out that which is not true. The Lord will defend himself. The Lord will defend his own honor, the honor of his word. Vengeance is the Lord's. But we count it an honor to go to battle, to take up arms, and to fight the spiritual warfare with our Lord. We also, I think, can note here kind of an implication coming out of this that not only is the truth maligned, by false teachers and those who live according to false teaching, but those who practice the truth are maligned. Those who live according to the truth are hated because of false teaching. Think about 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Paul writes there, Timothy, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer. Jesus said as much as well to his disciples, you are not greater than your master. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. But now maybe, you know, kind of to look at some of how that applies, it's not just the false teachers that hate the, the people who live according to the truth. False teachers cause extra scorn and extra hatred to be levied upon those who live according to the truth because they, they say, you know, mostly right things. They hold mostly to the truth, but then they let you go live however you want because that's what they do. That's what false teachers want. They want to be able to say mostly true things and then go out and chase after the fleshly desires that bring them pleasure. And so as they do that, what we understand that is it's not just the teaching of the Bible that causes the world to hate us. You, you could go into a lot of areas and read the scripture and, and bring it a little bit to bear, but then when you actually bring out specific application, when, when you go tell the man who is in an adulterous relationship that that adultery is sin and he is condemned before God of that, that's when the hatred comes. That's when the anger comes. That's when those who love and hold to the truth are maligned. It's when we apply God's word to life. So it's not just that false teachers hate us, but the, the way of false teachers brings and increases the hatred of the world for those of us who hold and live according to the truth. We'll move forward at, at this point to... The verse 3, to that first phrase in verse 3. So, again, there's two cause and effect statements. This is the second under the purpose of the, the false teachers. Verse 3, it says, And in their greed, 
They will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So greed and sensuality are closely linked. They're often used together in the scriptures. They're ideas that kind of go hand in hand, but they're unique ideas. They're unique sins. The, the Greek word here for greed means to desire to have more. It is covetousness. It, it is a sin that breaks one of the Ten Commandments. It, it's this idea that you are never content in what you have. You're just full of desire for more, for more, and for more. And the Bible teaches clearly that it's not wrong. You think about the application of this in false teachers. The Bible teaches that it's not wrong for men to earn a living or to earn a working wage for being preachers and teachers of the word. We, we hold to that fully. But what these false teachers are doing, they are not just earning a living. They are those who Paul would describe in Titus as being fond of sordid gain. They want the gain that is earned through doing whatever it takes to gain a following because they are full of greed. They are full of desires for more and more and more. They want more money, more wealth, more power, more pleasure. How do we guard ourselves against that? How do we guard ourselves against that spirit of greed that is common to a false teacher? Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verses 11 through 13. We really could back up to verse 8 if we wanted for, for the sake of time. Verse 11, Philippians 4 verse 11. Paul writes there, Now I speak, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, but I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret to being filled or, and to going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. How do we guard against the spirit of greed? We find our satisfaction in Christ. Paul's not saying he can accomplish anything through Christ. He's saying, I can live in any circumstances because it's Christ who gives me strength. It's Christ who fills my desire. It's Christ to whom I look. It's Christ who gives me grace. It's Christ whose mercies are new every morning. It's the eternal kingdom of Christ to which I look. And when the world crashes down around me, I look to the coming of Christ. Because I know this life is fleeting and passing. And what awaits the one in him is an eternal weight glory. That's the life of the saint, 180 degrees out from the life of false teachers. So what does their greed lead them to? He says, in their greed, they will exploit you. Their greed leads to exploitation, the trading and trafficking of something or someone in this case. It's graphic language when you think about what's going on here. It's the idea of making gain or merchandising something or someone. And again, this should be troubling. This should trouble your spirit to read and to understand what's going on here. These people are taking the precious, holy word of God and using what should be precious and, and used to fill up 
and encourage and train, and they're using that to exploit others, to make a gain off of someone else. They use the scriptures falsely to aid and abet their exploitation so they can line their pockets, so they can gain power, so they can gain authority and have easy and quote-unquote happy lives. It's the opposite of a godly shepherd. It's the opposite of the express purpose of God's word. Scripture is given to build up, to correct, to instruct, and to train in righteousness. That is the work of godly teachers and godly shepherds. And these false teachers just twist and pervert. And they go completely against that. Well, how do they do that? How do they exploit? In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. With false words. False comes from the Greek word plastos. You understand what that means? It's the the English form of plastic. You know, plastic is something that you can shape, that you can mold, that you can use and, and color to make it look to be something that it is not. That describes the words and the teaching of these who are false. Their words are like plastic. They are a cover-up. There is no backing to them. Their, their words are, are like a, a plastic painted rock that you could just drive your fist straight through. There's no strength. There's no firmness. There's no grounding in their teaching. And we need to be able to see through that. Matthew Henry picks up on the idea here that one way that, that false teachers lead through false words is through the means of flattery. We looked at that a little bit last time in Romans chapter 16. Henry wrote, They flatter, and by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So what, what does flattery have to do with false teaching? Well, there's a real specific application, I think, that, that Henry may have had in mind. It's that these false teachers, they bend the scriptures. They, they use the scriptures to tickle the ears of their hearers to build people up who are not truly spiritually mature and to make them feel like they are. Because you build somebody up, you make them feel good, they're going to bend to your will and your, question, your request and, and your desire. So they twist and pervert the truth to build people up to feel like they are mature saints who are walking in Christ when they are really not. They do it by tickling ears. They do it by flattery, by saying things that are false. We must stand against falsehood. We must understand who our enemy is and what they are. We must examine things in light of the entire counsel of Scripture. You know, that, that's one of the common running themes throughout Second Peter is the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. To stand firm against false teachers, everything must filter through lenses of Scripture. You've got to know the book. You've got to know the God of the book. We need to take up arms. We need to go to battle. We need to make war against these fortresses. We need to destroy the fortresses of evil. And we do that, Paul says, by taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. You fight with spiritual weapons. 
You, you don't fight against these powers in your flesh. You fight in the power of the Spirit with the sword of the Spirit, the truth of God's Word in your hand. Go to war. We go to war. So as I've alluded to, and I hope you are there with me at this point, this talk of, of false teachers, it, it, it should make our blood boil. It, it should aggravate us and, and bother us. Not that we get angry and full of rage, but that we see God's truth being maligned and twisted and perverted. If we love the truth, this should get our dander up, but it should also humble us because it reminds us of God's work in our lives. You are not a false teacher, not because of your own doing, but because of the grace of God in Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, let's look lastly at the punishment of false teachers. The punishment of false teachers at the end of verse 3. Peter says, their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This judgment is from long ago. It, in a way, is from eternity past. When the Lord created the world, we, we have this distinction because the Lord elected who he would save at the foundation of the world. So, so in a way, we can point all the way back there, but in a real practical way, we can point back to the garden. When Satan led Adam and Eve into sin, the Lord d- responded by telling Satan, you are accursed. You are condemned, and he gave the same condemnation to Adam and Eve. The the condemnation of sin, the condemnation of false teaching is eternity in hell. This destruction is set forth from long ago. This destruction is not idle. As we get into chapter 3, we'll see this picture where Peter says that the Lord is not slow as you count and consider slowness. For a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So when we think the Lord is being slow to exact and enact his punishment, we must remember that this destruction is not idle. The Lord will bring about condemnation, and we should consider his patience as that which brings about salvation. We'll get to that in chapter 3. But let's pull that string just for a moment. If this destruction is coming, if this condemnation of eternity in hell is coming, don't we understand that while the Lord tarries, as long as he gives us breath, we should be proclaimers of the gospel. We should go out and pull as many off the path to destruction as we can, proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God, perfect, pure, holy, blameless, without sin. We, we acknowledge and proclaim that he went to the cross on Calvary and took your sin upon his shoulders. He bore the Father's wrath in your place. The wrath that you deserve, all the breaking of the Lord's law that you have committed, all of that is placed on Christ if you come in faith, if you come in repentance. That is the Lord's work of salvation. You come in faith and repentance, your life is transformed, and then you are delivered from condemnation to the eternal kingdom of Christ. The flip side of that is that those who do not come to Christ have but one end. It's the end of destruction. It's the end of eternity in hell. And as long as the Lord tarries, that is our message.
That is what we proclaim. Your punishment is eternal wrath that is stored up over a lifetime of sin. Peter says their destruction is not asleep. So this is an utter destruction. It's a wrath in which the Lord does not grow weary. When the Lord pours out his wrath against sin for the rest of eternity, understand that he does not grow weary. The Lord does not turn his eye away when he is is bringing just condemnation on souls in eternal hell. The Lord is glorified by enacting and exacting his wrath against sin. So this judgment, this destruction is not asleep. That's the pictures of what awaits these false teachers. It's punishment. It's justice. And we should should hear that and we should learn from that. We're, We're not God. We don't have any authority to enact punishment. But we should hate that which the Lord hates. The Lord makes clear how he feels about false teaching. So let us be like the Lord and hate those who propagate falsehood. Let us be like the Lord and hate that which is not in accordance with his word. For us in the flesh, this must be a tempered and a careful response, but it must nonetheless be a response that we strive to bring about. We should be stirred at the sound of false teaching. We should be stirred when people are deceived and led off the path of righteousness. We must recognize and identify the sin of false teaching. We must recognize and identify false teachers. We must expose them. The church is to be the pillar and the support of the truth. Individuals will not advance beyond the truth that the church proclaims and supports and defends. We collectively are part of the Lord's church, a church set apart by the Lord, and we are a pillar and ground and support of the truth. We must press that truth together, forward together. That is our duty. We must not only know the truth of the gospel, but we must understand its implications. We must understand what accords with true godliness. What does it look like to truly be alive in Christ? It means that you're not running into the same sin over and over and over again. Because the Lord grants repentance. The Lord frees you from the power of sin. You come out from that sin and you walk in and pursue righteousness. That is the implication of the gospel. We must preach the whole gospel. We must hold to the whole gospel. We must apply all diligence in our faith. We we must apply moral excellence to that faith. We must apply knowledge to that moral excellence. From that knowledge comes self-control. From that self-control, perseverance. From that perseverance comes godliness. Godliness comes brotherly kindness. From brotherly kindness comes love. Faith, love, godliness. That is our pursuit. 
And it's all bound up, Peter says, in the knowledge of God. We must stand firm. We must resist the devil. We must resist the devil's schemes. And we do this by walking in the Spirit and striving for the glory of God. That must be our heart. May we be a people of the Word, people who loves the truth and who devote our lives to living it and proclaiming it until the Lord returns or until He calls us home. We do it by His Spirit and we do it for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we ask that you would write your word upon our hearts. I ask that you would take your truth and plant it deep within us. Lord, I pray that you would take our efforts today to, to hear your word and that you would grant them success by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be changed and transformed. I pray that we would be a people who stands firm and defends the truth. I pray that we would be a people who walks in holiness and we'd be proclaimers of the gospel of Christ till he returns, till he calls us home. May we stand in his power. May we do this by your grace and for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.